turning to Bibles this morning to 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. We'll be uh, finishing up chapter 10 this morning, looking at verses 7 through 18. And um, the title of my message this morning is uh, More Than Meets the Eye. More Than Meets the Eye. How to Live an Authentic Christian Life. How to Live an Authentic Christian Life. What does that look like? How does the world view us? How, what do they see in us? You know, we say we, we preach grace, we believe in grace, but here's the big question. Do we live grace? Do we live grace? We preach it, we believe it, we stand on it, but do we live it? We, do we live it? 2 Corinthians, let's read, um, let's read verses 7 through 11. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses uh, 7 through 11. We'll start there. The Apostle Paul says, You are looking at things as they are outwardly. If anyone is confident in himself that he is Christ, let him consider this again within himself, that just as he is Christ, so also are we. For even if I boast somewhat further about our authority, which the Lord gave for building you up and not for destroying you, I will not be put to shame. For I do not wish to seem as if I would terrify you by my letters. For, the, for they say, his letters are weighty and strong, but his personal presence is unimpressive and his speech uh, contemptible. Verse 11, let such a person consider this, that what we are in word by letter when absent, such a person's we are also indeed when present. The title of my message this morning, the thing I want you to take home is, um, I got some sermon points, but the overall picture is there's more than meets the eye. How to recognize an authentic Christian life. What do we look for in a ministry that makes it authentic? But also, at the same time, as we look at ministries, and you can also say looking at pastors, looking at teachers, you can also say looking at yourself, examining ourselves and see where am I at in my Christian walk? What makes it authentic? As I said, does our belief reflect in the way we live? We preach grace, we believe grace, but the big question is, do we live grace? Is it manifested in our life? I love this portion of scripture, 2 Corinthians chapter 10. It's very encouraging, it's very challenging, it's very aggressive. Here's what's going on. The Corinthians are facing false teachers. There's false teachers who have come into Corinth. They've infiltrated the ranks of the church. And the, and the false teachers are claiming superiority to the Apostle Paul. They're attacking his character, and they're attacking his message. So what Paul is doing here is he's, he's defending his apostolic authority. He's defending his apostolic authority. And I believe in the process of defending his apostolic authority— He's laying out what authentic Christianity is. So here's the deal. This is what the Corinthians are facing. Go home tonight, turn on your cable TV, and turn it to CNN News. Okay? Turn it to CNN News, and I want you to watch CNN News for 15 minutes. Maybe um, Rachel Maddox. Okay? Watch Rachel Maddox for 15 minutes. And then, after 15 minutes, turn your dial and turn it to Fox News. And listen to Sean Hannity. Okay? You got two opposite stories. And you're watching it. And you're like, 
they're saying this, and they're saying this, and they're not agreeing. Something's not right. Well, that's what the Corinthian church is doing. They got the false teachers saying this, and they got the Apostle Paul saying this, okay? You got the voice of truth in the Apostle Paul laying out, because he is the apostle. He is the one that God sent out to establish the New Testament church. He, is the, he has the voice of truth. So he is laying out before them what authentic Christianity looks like. And he's pointing out the errors in the false teachers. He's pointing out the errors in the false teachers. And, and he's, he's, he's pointing out to where his heart is in ministry. Let's pray and we'll dive into verse 7. Father God in heaven, thank you for your word. Lord, um, teach us, guide us, direct us. Holy Spirit, we invite you to come now and do Holy, do Holy Spirit work in our hearts. Change our hearts. Do your surgery and help us grow in these areas of authentic Christianity. In Jesus' name I pray, Father. Amen. Amen. All right. Now, every week I have the, sometimes it can be daunting. Sometimes it can be challenging. Sometimes it's going to be fun. But I have to come, I like to come up with a sermon title. I have to like to come up with a title of my message. How do I do that? I do it differently each week. But where I got my sermon title this week is from that very first verse we're looking at, verse 7. I want to talk to you about how I got my sermon title. Verse 7, the, the, uh, the NASB says this, you are looking at things as they are outwardly. Now, there's a lot of um, translators, there's different views on this verse. There's different, um, if you had the New King James Version or the King James Version of the Bible, you notice there's a question mark at the end. It says, are you looking at things as though they were outwardly? It's a question mark. But most of your translations, the NASB, the ESV, and many other translations, they just present it as a statement. And in, in, in the literal sense, in the original language, is, is verse 7 is saying this, look at what is plain before you. So if they're asking a question, if he's asking a question, he's evaluating them, the Corinthian believers. But if he's making a statement, look at what is plain before you, he's saying, hey, Corinth, hey, church, look at what is clearly before you. It's evident. You can see it. So either interpretation that you go with on this passage of Scripture, whether it's a question or whether it's a statement, is how I came up with the title of my sermon, which is this. Both a question and a statement goes with my message. More than meets the eye. How to recognize Christianity. There's more in our hearts and lives than, than um, what meets the eye, than what we see in a person. It's what we are on the inside. I saw a bunch of principles in here, but I'm going to highlight six for you this morning. I'm going to highlight six principles of what the, how the Apostle Paul shows the Corinthian church what is authentic and what is not authentic. Let's look at it. The first one in verse 7, halfway through. If anyone is confident in himself that he is Christ, let him consider this again within himself, that just as he is Christ, so also are we. One of the false teacher's problems were it says, is, is they were confident in who? What does the text say? They were confident in themselves. The false teachers had this elitist mentality that they were better than everybody else, that they were better than Paul, they were better than all people. And what does that smell like? What is that? What is that? It's called pride. It's called, it's, it's called pride. 
They thought they were better than everyone else. If anyone is confident in himself, you know, as Christians, we're not confident in ourselves. We're confident in the one who lives inside of us. We're confident in not in us or what we do, but we're confident in what God has done in our lives. We're confident in what Jesus did for us at Calvary. It enables us to wake up every morning and say, I can face today because God is with me. Because I believe and I trust the promises of the Lord. So the first principle of authentic Christianity is our confidence, your confidence as a believer, comes in your relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Him living in you. His spirit dwelling in you. That's the first principle of authentic Christianity. It's, it's confident. We are, we are confident, not in a prideful way, but we're confident in our identity. We're, we're confident in our identity of him living in us. I am confident, and I've experienced the evidence of a changed life. I am confident in that. I know who I was before I came to Christ, and I know who I am today. And he does, he does the same thing for you if you are in Christ. You can be confident in those things. We're confident in where we'll spend eternity. There's just, there's no this, oh, fear. What's on the other side? Ah, I'm scared. No. Part of being a believer in Jesus Christ is we're confident. And our, our fear of death is not there. Because we know on the other side is glory. And that brings great peace. That brings great peace to our mind. So our first, the first principle of authentic Christianity is that we are not confident in ourselves, according to verse 7, but we're confident that we are in Christ. Now, i, I got to say this here. Paul says, let him consider this again with himself, that just as he is in Christ, so also are we. Is Paul saying that the false teachers are in Christ? No. Because you, once you get to chapter 11, he's going to compare these false teachers with messengers of Satan. And I believe it's two-thirds of the way through chapter 11. I don't know the verse off the top of my head. But he's going to compare them with messengers and Satan. But what he's willing to do, he's, Paul is willing to reason with the Corinthian church and let them see clearly. Remember what I said? Open your eyes. There's more than meets the eye. Let it become evident. Let it become clear of what's going on here. He's wanting the, the Corinthian church to think rationally. Look at verse 8. Verse 8, I believe we have our second principle here. For even if I boast somewhat further about our authority, which the Lord gave for building you up and not for destroying you, I will not be put to shame. The Apostle Paul, this is the Apostle Paul. He says, he says I do have authority. He, he does have authority. He was commissioned in Acts chapter 9 by encountering the Lord Jesus Christ. The one Saul that once hated Christians, now his heart's changed. And now he is what? The apostle to the Gentiles. So he does have authority. But here's the big question, though. What was his authority to do, according to the verse? His authority was to build people up. His authority as an apostle was not to go around the Gentile world, ripping people to shreds and laying people to waste. But his job, his heart, was to build believers, to build the kingdom. And, and um, at the beginning of this chapter, 
uh, of 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 1. He, he, and how did he do it? He did it by the meekness and the gentleness of Christ. You saw his humble spirit. You saw his humble heart because he wanted to build people up. And my friends, that's what you and I have to do. Whether it's in church ministry, whether it's in discipleship, whether it's in Bible studies, maybe somebody comes to you and says, bro, I need some help. I need somebody. I, I need help. My life is falling apart. Things are going south. I need help. We got to look to the heart of the person. Yeah, they, they're jacked up and they're doing all kind of bad things in life and making bad decisions. But at the end of the day, we got to help them. We got to help them and show them the gospel and show them the message that can change their heart and change their direction. So, um, and also he says here in verse 8, he says, um, not for destroying you, not for, for, not for damnation, not to destroy you. That's what false teaching does. False teachers, they suppress people. False teaching suppresses people. It manipulates people. Man, we want, I want you guys to grow in your relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. I want you to grow and blossom and, and become a devout, strong believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. Not a devout, strong believer in Calvary Chapel or, 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 or following any church or, or anything, but to be a follower of Jesus, to be a follower of Christ. So the uh, second principle, as I see in verse 8, is our job is to build people. Our job is to build people. Despite how frustrating they make you, <laughs> despite how difficult it can be, and some people make decisions and you just want to say, pull your hair out. Despite all that, we got to lay it down and we got to help people. And we got to lay our lives down for other people. So the second principle of Christianity, of, of authentic Christianity that Paul's pointing out, is that we build people up. Paul's saying, Corinthian church, those false teachers are going to tear you down. They're going to jack your life up. They're going to mess you up. Jesus Christ is going to fix you, and he's going to build you up. He's going to build you up. Our job is to build people up. People come in their brokenness of sin, and, and we bring the healing, transforming power of the gospel. We pray on Sunday mornings, God, please bring people in. Bring, bring people that are broken. Bring people that are hurt. Bring, bring people that are struggling in life. Well, church, when they come in, let's be ready. <laughs> let's be ready. And, and, and let's help them. Let's build them up. Verse 9. Verse 9. For I do not wish to seem as if I would terrify you by my letters. For they say his letters are weighty and strong, and his personal presence is unimpressive, and his speech is contemptible. Verses 9 and 10. Back at verse 9, you know, got to point this out. He says, For I do not wish to seem as if I would terrify you by my letters. Paul was simply compassionate. He was a compassionate man. He cared for people. He didn't want to blow people out of the water. So the third principle of authentic Christian living is this, is that we display compassion. Does it, mean we don't com it doesn't mean we compromise on truth. We stand firm on the truth, and we challenge people, and we lovingly care for people, but we do it with a heart of compassion. We do it with a heart of compassion. We don't run people off. 
We, we, uh, we, we pray for people, we love on people, and we speak the truth to people. And we let the Holy Spirit do His work. And we got to keep this in mind, church, that our time, the Holy Spirit's time schedule is not always the same time schedule as ours. And we have to be patient. We have to be patient and long-suffering with people and helping them uh, and discipling them and bringing them out of darkness into his glorious light. I love verse 10. Verse 10, who is this guy? Who is the Apostle Paul? You know, we talk about him so much in church, but we don't have no pictures of him. We have very little information about who Paul was outside of the scriptures. So who was the Apostle Paul? And it's really cool, as I've seen on Facebook, there's that movie coming out this Easter, The Apostle Paul. I'm looking forward to seeing it. I've, I've read some things online that, that said it's really good. I'm not endorsing it yet because I haven't seen it. But I'm really looking forward to seeing how they portray the Apostle Paul. But the Scripture does give us some information about him. And there's some extra biblical evidence of, of who the Apostle Paul was. I want to share one with you. This is called, uh, this, is from, this is from the Apocryphila, uh, from the Acts of Thecla, which archaeologist Sir William Ramsey dates to the first or possibly second century. Um, this is what this writing that, that was dated within, almost within 100 years of Paul, how it describes him. What did this guy look like? What did, what, who was he? Did he look like Stephen Furtick? Or did he look like Billy Graham? Or did he look like David Ford? I mean, what, what was he like? What was, what was his persona? This is pretty... Um, one of the pieces of information that gives us about the, who, the, who he was. What did he look like? Um, according to the Acts of, of, of Thecla, second century writing, says this, he was a man of middling size and his hair was scanty and his legs were a little crooked and his knees were projecting. <laughs> he had large eyes and it says that, according to his writings, his eyebrows met and his nose was somewhat long. But the, the, the thing also adds about the Paul describing who he was, it says he was full of grace and mercy. Pretty interesting. The Apostle Paul was probably not the most, um, what do you want to call it? He was probably not the, the most appealing person in person. Hair was scanty. Legs were crooked. Knees were projecting. He had large eyes. He had the eyebrows that met. But his appearance was not the greatest. And we think about today I mean, let's just be honest. Let's just be truthful and transparent. A lot of times when we go to a church, we go to a ministry, we, we look at the leader. We look at the people in the church. And, and we identify. And people are drawn to people in the pulpit. Well, how about this? Instead of being attracted to people, why don't we be attracted to the message and the ingredients and what God is doing in the place. Amen? Why don't, why, don't, why, don't we, why don't we go there? The Apostle Paul was probably the greatest preacher, the greatest Christian 
wrote most of the New Testament in, in all of history. I want to sh- bring up a picture here. Uh, this is uh, St. Paul's Basilica. This is where, it's right outside of Rome, and this is where it is said the remains of the Apostle Paul are, are buried. This is the 10th largest church building in the world. It has these beautiful porticos, this marble ceiling. I mean, it is just magnificent. And then you go down the main corridor, and they have this place set up to where supposedly his remains are buried. And above that is a glass case. And there's this chain. And this chain is supposedly dated back from the time of Paul. They even claim it was the chains that held him in his dungeon. But as I was researching this and looking at this and just trying to find out the history behind St. Paul's Basilica, I thought to myself, what would Paul say? If he was here on earth, what would he say about this? Look at the bottom right-hand corner, the columns and the ceiling. What would he say about all this? What would Paul think about this place that's been built? It's almost like a shrine. I think he would throw up. I think he would say, this is not what it's about. It's about Jesus. It's about the gospel. This was a man who wrote, most of the, your pages of the New Testament were written with hands that had chains wrapped around on both ends. Had Roman guards on both sides. And he's, talking to, he's, he's sending out letters to Timothy, and he's sending out letters to the church. And he had one passion. And it was not in his physical stature, not in the church's physical stature, not in anybody's physical stature, but it was in the glory of Christ. It was in the glory of the gospel. It was taking Jesus to the world. I think if he had, if, 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 if Paul could choose a place that would represent him, I believe he would have built a tent. I believe he would have built a tent. He said, there you go. There you go. Take the gospel to the world. Take the gospel to the people who don't have the gospel. That was his passion. So um, my fourth principle is this. Based on verses 9 and 10 and what we know about the Apostle Paul is don't judge a preacher or a person, by that, by the, for that matter, by appearance. By appearance. Judge them by their message. Judge them by their life. Uh, who do they point people to? That is what should draw us and gravitate us to, to ministers and to preachers and to people. Do the people at Calvary Chapel Irmo, do they care? Do they want to build me up? Do they want to help me in life? Or are they wanting to tear me down? Do they want to tear? We, as a body, have to be a body of believers that build the kingdom. And the people will come. People will come. We know that. We know that. There's so many churches. There's so many organizations. There's so many um, Christian ministries. What attracts us? What draws us? What draws us? Is it the image or is it the message? Is it hype or is it truth? Is it just feel good or is there a ministry need? Is something taking place there? And that's where, we, that's where we're going. 
is where there's ministry taking place. People are being discipled and lives are being transformed. Y'all ready to move on? Verse 11. Verse 11. Let such a person consider this, that what we are in word by letter when absent, such a person we are also indeed when present. So Paul is saying what we are in word by letter, in other words, I'm writing these letters and I'm sending them ahead. And what I say in these letters, when I get there, in, when I get there to Corinth, I'm going to do the same thing as my, as my letters say. I'm going to be the same person. What did he say in uh, chapter 10, verse 1? By the meekness and the gentleness of Christ. He's not being bold and strong and then featherweight light when he gets there, or vice versa. So this teaches us today, Christians in ministry, that we have to be men and women of our word. We have to be men and women of our word. We have to follow through on the things that we say. If we, like I said at the beginning of my message, we, be, we believe in grace, we teach grace, we stand on grace, now, let's go out and live grace. Let's live grace in people's lives and let them see the Holy Spirit doing his work in and through our lives. So the fifth principle, according to verse 11, is we need to be a man or woman of our word. We need to be who, who we are, who we say we are on Sunday. We need to be that way on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. Verse 12 says, uh, For we are not bold to class or compare ourselves with some of those who commend themselves. But when they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves, <laughs> they are without understanding. How do the false teachers operate? The false teachers, they operated by puffing themselves up. They were arrogant. They were elitist. And what does the text say? What was their, what was their chief thing? They compared themselves. You know, we don't compare ourselves. We, we, we the, 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 um, the only measuring rod for the believer in Jesus Christ is one, are we following Christ and are we obeying his word? Are we doing what God has told us to do in his word? Are, are we living out our faith in a practical, everyday way that ministers to people by being a follower of Jesus Christ? Our measuring rod, our stick is God, is the Lord Jesus Christ. It, 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 uh, it is his word, is, is our measuring rod. Verse 13, but we will not boast beyond our measure. We will not boast beyond our measure, but within the measure of the spear, which God apportioned to us as a measure to reach even as far as you. For we are not overextending ourselves as if we did not reach to you. For we were the first to come even as far as you in the gospel of Christ. The driving force, the driving force in the Apostle Paul's life was to take the gospel to the Gentile nation. He had a life to live. He had to work. He had to go about his daily routines. But through that, he took the gospel to the Gentile world. And our jobs as Christians as we live out this life, is whether we're a truck driver or a salesman, whether we're in the military 
or, 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 or constr- a mechanic is to take the gospel to wherever we go. It's, it's, uh, the driving force in the Apostle Paul's life, everything he did, it revolved around the gospel. Jesus was at the center. Jesus was at the center of everything he did. And my friend, as a, as a disciple of Jesus Christ, and as a person that's moving forward as a disciple of Jesus Christ, that's the goal. That's the goal. Is that Christ is at the center. That you love him with all your heart, soul, and mind. And you minister to your children and to your family. And everything that you do flows from that love. That's a compassionate love. That's a meek love. That's a gentle love. That's a love that stands on the truth and doesn't compromise. Is is taking the gospel of Christ. That was the driving force in Paul's life. It should be the driving force in our life. Verses 14 and 15 kind of go together. Let's read verse 15. Not boasting beyond our measure, that is, in other men's labors, but with the hope that as your faith grows, we will be within our sphere, enlarged even more by you. In verses 14 and 15, Paul is saying this, we were here first. I came to Corinth first. I established the gospel of Christ first. I am operating within the sphere or the realm of my influence. We brought the gospel. We came to Corinth. We established the, the foundation. And now, Corinthian believers, now is the time for you to rise up And the same thing I'm going to say to you this morning is to rise up and grow. Grow deeper in your relationship with Christ. Pastor David, how do I grow deeper in my relationship with Christ? First off, by doing what we're doing this morning, getting into the Word. But spending daily time in prayer. Spending daily time in prayer. Spending daily time reading your Bible. Uh, Spending some... Everybody's got different schedules and times are tough. I know it's challenging taking some time and getting into fellowship. Man, there's something powerful about fellowship. There's something powerful that sometimes it's hard to put my finger on, but there's something strong and powerful about fellowship. When us men get together, or when you ladies get together, or maybe you're here and you get together with a Christian friend at a coffee shop, there's something powerful about that. Okay? Can't see it in the natural realm, in the physical realm, but there's a spiritual growth that the Holy Spirit uses to grow us when I've got a brother in Christ to do life with and to have fellowship. There's something deep and intimate and spiritual when Irene goes and and, and meets with ladies and has fellowship. The conversation might not even be spiritual all the time. They might just meet for Starbucks for some hot chocolate and a dessert and just sit there and talk to each other and ask them, how you're doing? How's your day going? But there's something deep and intimate and spiritual and fellowship. And there's also something uh, deep and intimate when we come together and we eat. Have you noticed that? When you come together and you have food, there's just something special about it that when you share a meal together, there's a bond that takes place with the people you're eating. 
You know, us Americans, we love to eat. <laughs> so that should work well with the church. That should work well with the church. But there's something special about it. So, you know, that's why, um, if my memory serves me correctly, we're gonna, we, our first one is going to be the Sunday after Easter. So that second weekend of April, we are starting a fellowship, and, a fellowship lunch once a month. As long as logistically we can do it and continue to do it, um, we're going to, one Sunday a month, we're going to encourage everyone to bring their, bring their potluck, to bring their crock pot, to bring their food. We'll have some tables set up. And then after that, after church service, after worship, we're going to all go out there and we're going to feast. And every single one of us, every single family is going to save $50 from going out to lunch. But more important than saving money is we're going to have fellowship. We're going to have fellowship, and we're going to create fellowship and relationships. And, and what we're doing is, is we're bringing the body together, and we're making it strong. We're making it strong so you can get to know people and enjoy fellowship and see what takes place. But verse 15, he says, Not boasting beyond our measure, that is, in other men's labors. Paul and them came to Corinth first. They established the church, for, the, the church there first. It was founded on the gospel, on the apostolic authority of the Apostle Paul. And then he says, now uh, your faith needs to grow. Your faith needs to grow. So if you're taking notes, that was the um, sixth principle in this text here of authentic Christianity. Is, uh, there's a responsibility. We need to grow. We need to grow. Take the next step. Verse 16, as we're wrapping this chapter up. So as to preach the gospel even to the regions beyond you, and not to boast in what has been accomplished in the spear of another. Verse 17, I love this. But he who boasts is to boast in the Lord. Different translations, different versions, but that word boast, it means to glory. It means to rejoice. It means to have joy in. My friend, your Christian walk, there should be glory, there should be rejoicing, there should be joy in God in your life, in Jesus in your life. There should be this overwhelming, bubbling out joy that Christ is in me and that I have fellowship with believers. I have brothers and sisters in Christ. There should be this overwhelming joy that just flows out of us. And that overflowing joy that flows out of us, it brings us together. But we boast in, this, in, in the false teachers. What did they do? They boasted in themselves. They, 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 it was all about me, 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 I, 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 and you, 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 you. They didn't boast in themselves. Paul's saying, we don't boast in ourselves, but we boast in our relationship with God and what God is doing and the Lord Jesus Christ is doing. Amazing. Verse 18, boy, this, this might hit us. For it is not he who commends himself that is approved, but he whom the Lord commends. Guys, this is, this is where we miss the mark. The, or let me rephrase that. This is where Pastor David has missed the mark so many times in my life. And that is this, becoming a people pleaser. Seeking the approval of men over the approval of God. We can't do that. In our life, that we live in our Christian walk, our aim, our goal, our mission is to be pleasing to him. 
You know, it's, it's, it's more about what, what brings him glory, what brings him honor. When we leave church, we shouldn't be saying, wow, that was a good service. How'd you like it? Well, yeah, I liked it. It was pretty good. But we should be leaving church and saying, is God, were you pleased with this service? Were you pleased? Did it exalt you? Whose approval? Whose approval do we seek? Do we seek the church's approval? Do you live to seek the church's approval? Do you live to seek the pastor's approval? No. That's, your heart's in the wrong place. We live to seek God's approval. God's approval in our life. That will liberate you. That will liberate you if you, if you take that to heart. I'm no longer trying to live up to his standard or her standard or their standard. I'm not having to put on a show. But I'm living my life to seek your approval, God. And my friend, if you have a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, you have God's approval. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father God in heaven, thank you, Lord, for your word. Lord, help us to grow in these areas. Holy Spirit, just pray that you come down, continue to work in our hearts, and do your surgery that only you can do as we've studied your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Amen.